The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Lord, would you take this time in our lives as we look at your word? Would you, um, you know, shove me to the side and help us to see you more clearly, help us to know you better, help us to be overwhelmed with who you are. In your name, amen. Have a seat, please. We are headed for Joshua chapter, what are we on? I didn't put it up there, did I? Uh, Joshua chapter 7. Today in our journey through Joshua, and I want to start off by saying I don't know if you all are very absorbent, observant or not, uh, but uh, have you noticed that along with our, these are not Christmas trees, these are winter trees. They've been that way for the last two months. By the way, they're coming down this week. Winter is officially over. Uh, next week, we're having something special. I don't know. The cross will be there. I don't know what else will be there. I don't know if I'm going to leave the TV or not, but have you noticed the little TV up there that has like a theme for the message or a key verse? Anybody, anybody track that? Oh, good. Some of you realize what we're trying to do there. Okay. Now, today on purpose, I put a verse up there that if you can read it, I know it's kind of small for those of you in the back. You, uh, you'll see it on the larger screens later. But if you read it, you'll be like, what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get that one. Hosea 2.15, it's got to be a good verse because I have a grandson named Hosea, but uh, it says, and there I will give her her vineyards. Amen? That means nothing to you, does it? Uh, that's not a verse you're probably stenciling on your wall at home. And I will make the Valley of Acre a door of hope. Now, as you read that now, I realize you're thinking, what in the world? But I really hope, and my prayer, is that when you leave here today, you're going to love what that verse is all about. I think you're going to grab onto it. And you're going to love it, okay? So we're going to move into Joshua chapter 7. What game is that? Trouble, okay? I actually I couldn't find it. I remember I saw this little psychological chart where they'd analyze what your favorite board game was, and then they'd tell you some things about yourself. I couldn't find it because I wanted to read it. I mean, I do remember Trouble. I remember Monopoly. If that's your favorite game, then you're some type of control freak or something like that. I, I just think freak. I, I don't know what you are. But uh, Trouble, they, I remember this because we have a family member. This is her favorite game. And uh, they said you have a tendency to be uh, vengeful, uh, going after vengeance. Like, you know, ah, I'm sending you back, you know, that, that type of thing. And that actually fits her pretty well. Uh, Hannah, our daughter. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, my wife's like, what are you talking about? Uh, but, but anyway, you remember this game, the Pop-O-Matic game, Trouble, you know, where you move around the board and everything like that. The reason why I put that up there is because in Joshua chapter 7, we're going to talk about a character from the Bible by the name of Achan. When you study his name, guess what it means? Trouble. It is the name trouble. In fact, a word in our verse up there we'll get to later, the acre word, uh, which is named after him, it is the same root word, and again, it's trouble. So it is in the valley of trouble. Uh, so that's who we're going to look at. Now, as we have been journeying uh, through Joshua, we've been talking about the idea of walking in victory, living in victory, living life like a life of faith. As we get into chapter 7, this will be real encouraging, I've got some bad news, and then I have some worse news. But then I have some really good news. Okay, the bad news is, and we've already seen this, as we follow God, as we walk in this path of victory, walk in this path of, path of faith, there will be battles. 
okay? Sometimes we measure our Christian life by the battles, and if the battles are coming, we think I must be doing something wrong. That's not correct, okay? There will be battles. They're going to be there. That's the bad news. And the worst news comes today when we look at the battle we're going to talk about today. The worst news is sometimes we fail. Sometimes we, if you want to say, lose the battles. Sometimes we're going to fail. But the good news is what we're going to get to at the end, the great news uh, that God gives us even as a result of some of the failures that we have. Okay, now, so what we're going to do, we're going to read through our whole chapter. We'll stop a little bit for a couple mini-sermons. Okay, but we'll get the story down. A couple little mini-sermons worked in there, and then we're going to go back and look at just three one-syllable words uh, that, that we'll kind of pull out of our text and look at what God has for us in that today. Okay, so chapter 7 of Joshua is where we are, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. If you remember, when they took uh, the Jericho, God has said, the spoils of Jericho you don't touch. Okay, now the rest of their journey, the rest of their battles, they can take the spoils. Okay, but not Jericho. That's the first thing. Remember we talked about the principle of the first fruits. The first belongs to God. I highly encourage you all when you make out your budgets at home uh, to have a first top of the list, God. Okay, that's top. Before house payment, before anything else, this is what I give to God. This is number one. He gets the first. Well, this principle is here in that as they're taking the promised land, as uh, Jericho is conquered, uh, Jericho belongs to God. Okay, don't take any of the spoils. But somebody did not obey that. For Achan, again, this fellow whose name means trouble, the son of Carmi, the uh, son of Zabdi, don't I do great with these names? Son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And they went up and spied out the land. Now, I always say Ai. I've always said that. Anybody with me? You ever hear of this town, Ai, the town of Ai, or city of Ai? Okay, do you know that's not really how it's supposed to be pronounced. It's actually I. I did not know that. I learned that this week. I've always said it wrong. I've taught people wrong for years. Uh, my pronunciation is terrible. Hooked on phonics. Never worked for me, but, uh, or something like that. But it's actually supposed to be pronounced I. So you can remember that they sent people up to I, I. I you get it? Uh, that's actually, you know how in the military you say I, I? That's actually where that came from. No, it's not. I just made that part up. But everything else, everything, everything else is true that I was saying. This is actually pronounced I, and now they're going to send the spies up there. They're going to do the reconnaissance. Well, what do they say? They returned to Joshua and said, do not have all the people go up. Okay, we've looked. You don't need to send the whole army. I'll let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for, they, for there's only a few of them. We can handle them. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, they, and they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about 36 of them. You might say 36. That doesn't sound like that many. 36 more than Jericho. We'll just say that. Okay, Jericho, they didn't lose anybody. Uh, as we compare the two battles. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gates as far as Sherebim uh, and struck them uh, at the descent as they're going down. And the hearts of the people melted. They became as water. You get that there. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> we just won Jericho. 
and uh, can't handle this defeat. And Joshua tore his clothes, and he fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua, look what Joshua says. Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? Why have you brought us? Why didn't you leave us on the other side? You just brought us over here to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Would that we had been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? Okay, human nature coming out all over Joshua right here. Human nature begins with blaming God. Okay, God, what in the world is going on here? Now, remember, God can handle authenticity. In fact, authenticity is good. Uh, and we find that throughout Scripture. We find it in the Psalms. We find it in the book of Job where they write and say, God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't get this. I'm really struggling with this. I don't understand you, God. I don't understand what you're doing. Authenticity is good. Audacity, not so good. And what I mean by that, that's when we turn around and we say, God, you have no business doing this. You are wrong, God. You know, God, you are out of line. That's where we cross the line, I think. Authenticity, God seems to, I don't know, I'll say that if you want to say tolerate, he's long-suffering with. In fact, I would say that is a good thing. I encourage somebody, if you are struggling with something happening in your life, the first thing I would do is pray and say, God, I'm struggling with something happening in my life. <laughs> I don't understand this. I don't know what's happening. The authenticity is good. The audacity is a problem. Now, let's go on. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and they'll cut us off, uh, I'm sorry, cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Okay, it is time for you to do something here, Joshua. Let's get up. And again, just a little mini sermon to throw in with that. There are some times in our life when (laughs) I'm uh, always amused uh, listening to parents at upward games. And um, when the little kids are playing basketball out there, because sometimes a kid will fall down, and of course they act like their world's come to an end, you know, they're broken, uh, they'll never move again. And I'll hear the parent behind me going, oh, get up, you're not hurt. <laughs> you're fine, get up, you're not hurt. Then other times, the parents are like, call 911! <laughs> they got an ouchie! Uh, you never know exactly what, what is going to happen uh, like that, but... In this case, I think God is very clearly saying, okay, let's get up. What can you do? What should you do in this situation? And sometimes as we look at our lives, as we look at our obedience to God, we need to ask ourselves, yes, I pray and I trust God, but what can I do? What should I do? Okay, life without prayer is really living like an atheist, but life, uh, uh, prayer without works is really uh, not, it's not practical as far as that goes. Wait, I have to say that statement couldn't remember it. Life without prayer is living like an atheist. Prayer without action is presumptuous. I'm sorry. I had to remember that word. I blanked there for a second. So in other words, there are some places where we say, okay, what is it that I can do? My marriage is struggling. Okay. What step can you take? Uh, things with the kids just aren't right. Child ring, I don't feel. Okay. So what are you doing? Okay, what, what are you going to, how are you going to make a, 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 what are you going to do about that? Uh, you know, is there a step you can take as you pray and as you trust God? What should you be doing? What's the next step? We are going to, I, I think we'll tell you the, the date next week. We're going to have a little marriage conference here on a Friday night and Saturday in early May. And then in the, uh, towards the fall time, we want to do a child during, uh, same type of thing. Uh, and kind of a mini, mini little seminar there. 
Uh, I trust those will be very helpful, but I don't want to say count on those as being the end all. Okay, I'm going to go to that. All my problems will be solved. That'll do it. Okay, there are a lot of steps and a lot of work sometimes we have to take. We did a uh, one of the Dave Ramsey things here uh, a couple times. The What's that called? Financial Peace. Uh, Dave Ramsey does that. And and uh, there was a guy that was a friend of mine in the church. His finances, I knew, were tragic. So I kind of said, hey, why don't you go to this? And he said, well, he said, I can't afford it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to pat myself on the back here. Francis, I decided, you know, we'd pay for them to go. I had somebody else tell them, hey, this is paid for. You can go. He ended up in my little small d- discussion group as we're going through this. And he was just like, yeah, I knew all this stuff all along. <laughs> I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, you know, not that Dave Ramsey's God, but, uh, but he could have used a little bit of his advice on some things. And, uh, and he just wouldn't take it. What I'm saying is sometimes, uh, you know, don't, don't look for, you know, the quick fix of the seminar or anything like that. Uh, sometimes you just have to ask yourself, okay, where in my life, what should I be doing? What could I be doing as far as that goes? Where would God say, get up? <laughs> get up and figure out what the next step is. Uh, let's take that. Okay, go on. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied. They have put them uh, among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. Did you see that phrase there? They cannot stand before their enemies because of what they had done. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. I won't give you the mini-sermon there. Just read that phrase. You cannot stand with this. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by the clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near to the households, and the households the Lord takes. God is weeding down figuring out who the problem is here. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done this outrageous thing in Israel. And Joshua rose up early in the morning. He brought Israel near tribe by tribe, uh, and they went through the whole thing. I'm going to uh, speed up here just a little bit. Uh, goes through the whole thing. They find the family, what they've done. Look at uh, in the middle here. And Achan, the one who had taken these things, answered Joshua. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I did. He said, I saw among the spoils beautiful cloak of Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, and I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent and silver underneath it. And then it goes on and talks about the fact that Achan and his whole family end up paying the price for what he had done. Uh, You can read through that in chapter 7. Now, I have three one-syllable words that I want to talk to you about a little bit. And the first, obviously, is pride, okay? The... place when we get to a mountaintop, okay, when we experience victory in our lives, you have to realize when you're on the mountaintop, you're surrounded by slopes all over the place. Everything is going downhill, and oftentimes those slopes become very slippery. I don't know. Again, this is, I can relate to this so well in my life. The, the places of mountaintop experience are dangerous places. They're places of vulnerability. I am doing so well. I go through this cycle in my life, and I've repeated it many times. God, I can't make it without you. I need you. God, I have to have you. I did it. You ever been there? 
God, I have to have you, but now I've done it. I, here I am. I'm on the mountaintop. Here I am. And in that time on the mountaintop, prayer goes out the window. Trusting God goes out the window because I've got life under control. I'm good. So that is always a dangerous place when I think I have all the answers, when I've solved all the problems, when I've figured everything out. God, never mind. I don't really need you right now after all. See, we sometimes think that our Christian life is about growing strong enough in our faith uh, so that we don't uh, we, we, we can stand against the flesh. We can stand against sinful nature. We can stand against sin. Let me say that. We think that we are supposed to grow strong enough to be able to stand in our flesh against sin. Wrong. Okay? The Apostle Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. The Apostle Paul, as he grew closer to God, first he called himself the, the least of all sinners. And I'm, I'm sorry, first he called himself the least of all of the disciples. Then he called himself the least of the, all the Christians. And then he called himself the least of all sinners. Uh, he understood that he wasn't all there. He had not arrived. As he grew, as he matured in the Lord, he actually recognized his own sinfulness. And then in his flesh dwelt no things. So it is not about me being able to stand uh, against my flesh. It is about me learning to trust and walk in faith and trust in him more and more. It is not then about me beating myself up because my in my flesh dwells no good thing. I'm, I'm terrible and I'm rotten and everything like that. But it is about me growing more depending on him. I'm not tearing myself down. I'm lifting him up. When I think that I have everything figured out, then I do not need to trust God. Now, maybe this is the verse I should have put on the TV screen because this one you might be familiar with. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Let's think about what the children of Israel did here. They went and spied out Ai, okay? They went and spied it out, and they said, uh, we got this. According to their understanding, they, this was easy, right? They had it no problem. What they understood from the situation was so they were trusting completely in their understanding. Nowhere in the text do you see them say, and they sought the Lord. Don't need God on this one. Jericho, oh, we needed you, God. Those walls, we weren't getting through those walls. There's no way. We really needed you, God. AI, we got this. No problem. We can handle it. In all of our ways, acknowledge him. Well, again, that there was no acknowledgement of God. There's no recognizing that God even existed because they didn't need God. They could handle him. That is a pattern we get caught in in our own lives as far as pride goes, where God, uh, you know, I don't need you today. Uh, I've got this figured out. And some, what can happen is the times of victory become times of prayerlessness. And the times of prayerlessness are going to become times of vulnerability. So we want to go after that. So uh, the lesson, I guess, or the practical point is we want to remember that we are to pray in times of victory. Spurgeon said the purpose of prayer is never to inform God, is never to direct God. The purpose of prayer is to invite God to rule and reign in my life. I need God for the battle of Jericho. I need God for the battle of Ai. Uh, Francis and I uh, went out uh, Friday to the movies. We wanted to see the Jesus Revolution movie that's out. 
Uh, so we went and watched that. There's a, the story in there is largely the conversion of a guy by the name of Greg Laurie, who is a pastor out in California. He's part of Calvary Chapel. And uh, I've listened to Greg quite a bit. I was interested in the story. But it goes back to the uh, late 60s, early 70s, and the time of the hippies in California and a lot of the, and then the Jesus movement, which was a lot of the hippies getting saved. And the main character of that is a guy, I'm sorry, I have to laugh at this name. If you're going to be a hippie, this is the name you want. Lonnie Frisbee. Uh, that's a great name. Uh, I mean, honestly, what do you see? Lonnie Frisbee. He's a hippie. Uh, but uh, but it's, a, it's an interesting story because Lonnie Frisbee becomes uh, very powerfully used of God. In fact, he was the one that really brought Greg Laurie to the Lord. And uh, God used him in his life. But you watch this guy, this character, Lonnie Frisbee, become very impressed with himself. And, uh, you know, I got this. His, and, the, and the focus became more and more on him. And the movie depicts this very well, you know, that he begins to trust himself and see himself as bigger than God. And this so much is what we have a tendency to go for as far as pride goes. When I've got it figured out, you know, it becomes all about me. Um, I think I've told you some of this before, but in my background, um, we were part of, I don't know what to call this, um, a division of Christianity or what, whatever like that. And I was very much involved in the ministry of the leader of that division. I mean, he was, he was big stuff. I mean, all types of books and, and speaking all over the country and people, you know, heard of him and, and everything like that. Big time stuff. Well, eventually it came out that uh, I, don't know, I don't think things started like this, but his life he had become too impressed with himself. There's no other way to say it. And his life crumbled underneath him. Now, my response at that time was to take every book that I had of his and throw it away. Got it for anything. Uh, had the same thing happen with a musician that God had used in my life and uh, appreciated his songs. But when something went haywire with him, my response was take all his records. Tra- you know what I mean. I think if there's some of the more records, actually, uh, cassette tapes, uh, eight tracks, uh, and get rid of them. Okay, you know I'm going to get rid of these. I would say this. Um, that's how I responded. That's not how I would recommend you respond. Because we have to remember that it is never about those people to begin with. It is about God. It is never about man. And as much as I I, I repeat this often just because I know the path that many of us are on, you will in your life be disappointed by men. Be very careful that you don't trust in them. I mean, I pray to God that I am not the one to disappoint you. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to go down that road, but I'm just, you just know life. And people are going to. And people become impressed with themselves many times, and therefore they become the, the story. And we've mentioned this. God, God doesn't really share his glory. You know that, right? Uh, you know, so that's not a good place they want to be. But see, it's never about those people. God can use whoever he wants, whenever he wants, and God can stop using the, those people in the same way. Uh, at, at any time. So we need God in the battle of Jericho, right? We can't win it without him. We need God in the battle of Ai, even though according to our understanding, we think we can win. Now, the second word is very similar, a little shorter here, but we'll look at that word here for a second and just talk about some of the lessons we learn from sin or we learn about sin from this story. First of all, we learned there's no such thing as a little sin. You might look at this story and say, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, someone has said, if you don't think little things are important, you've never spent the night in a room with a mosquito. I don't know uh, if that is a good thought for you or not. But, uh, but this thing that looks like a little sin, we cannot 
underestimate the impact of one person walking away from God. Okay? We cannot overestimate the impact of one person, or underestimate, either, either way, the impact of one person who is walking away from God. In one of the verses we read, uh, 721, it said, I saw among the spoil. Now see what Achan did here. He saw among the spoil. It goes on down there, and then it says, then he coveted, and then he took. Um, a pattern for sin is very evident here. That same pattern is talked about in the book of James. But each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Very much the same idea uh, in this passage in, in James. The, verse, the words that are used are all about, like, they're all hunting terms, you know, like a lure, like a trap somebody in there. Uh, the word entice actually is the same as, like, a hook uh, that, that is brought in that gets a hold of somebody. This is the path that sin takes. I see. I want, I take. Seeing and being tempted obviously is not sin. I mentioned this before when we talked about this idea, but I think this is very important. My goal is to avoid sin. I can avoid temptation, but sometimes where I can, I want to do it. Does that make sense? I mean, where I can, I want to stay away from it. If I want to avoid sin, it makes sense to avoid temptation. So I set up some boundaries in my Christian life to try to avoid temptation. Maybe I say, for example, I'm going to give up going to the movies because that's not good for me, or I'm going to give up te television, or I'm what you know, fill in the blanks there, stuff like that. What we have done sometimes in Christianity is we've taken those fences that we put up and we've equated them with the Word of God, and that's where we get into kind of legalism and judgmentalism. I don't have a TV. Why do you? I'm spiritual since I don't have a TV. Uh, why do you have them? By the way, we have two. But uh, but just so you know, I wasn't actually talking that. But you know what I mean? We, we, kind of, we kind of play that game there. Now, it is wise, however, for us to follow or learn from Aiken's example. I saw, I coveted, then I took. That is the path of if you want to say trickery, that we go down. And you know, I told you the, the words that are used have to do with animals, really. And we need to understand that when we are following our basic instincts, when we're letting them rule our lives, we're headed for danger. If Achan had just waited until chapter 8 and verse number 2, God had a whole lot better things for him in the spoils of Ai. But he didn't just wait. Jim Elliott, Jim Elliott said that God always gives his best to those who leave it to him, that are willing to trust in him and wait on him to deliver. But we want, we want to understand and we want to remember that sin is always, always going to separate. It is always going to bring death. The death of dreams, the death of relationships. And we need to remember that no one sins in a vacuum. If you would ever tell yourself this, that my sin is not hurting anybody else, you are believing a lie. Very simply. That's, that's where it is. It is going to hurt other people. That's where it's going to be. And that idea might be uncomfortable. I don't like that. I don't like, you know, other people's impacting me. You know, the Bible says in Romans that by one man, sin entered the world. A man by the name of Adam. I say, well, I don't really like that idea that because of that, all have sinned. And that's what the Scripture says. I'm not really comfortable with that. Well, one man, uh, sin entered the world, and because of that, all have sinned. I don't really like that. Well, finish the verse. Because also by one man came life. One man came death. 
Uh, that is uh, through Adam. But by one man, Jesus Christ laying down his life as a perfect sacrifice for sin came life. So if you don't like that whole idea, make sure you get the whole thought there from Romans. Yes, sin did enter the world through one man, but yet, yes, Jesus brought life to all in that. Now, our third word that I want to look at gets us turned around there. I told you we got bad, worse, good. Okay, we're going to get real good here. I want to talk about this idea of hope. This verse that, uh, that I put up here from Hosea, let me put up here a little, little bit larger. I, I really don't know why we're, our words are so small this time. I thought I uh, enlarged them. Can you read it? Okay. Yeah, you can. You're sitting in the front row. <laughs> can you read it? <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, but uh, but uh, the phrase here, okay, we didn't, at the end of chapter um, 7 of Joshua, I talked about the fact that this place would be called this valley. Valley of Acre. I told you that's the same word, the same root as the name Achan. Okay, this, this valley here. And it says, I will give her her vineyards. I will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. Okay, that is really what I want you to take away. I don't know that you're going to want to stencil this verse on your wall. But I want you to remember that this is what God does. I request requested of Adam that we sing that psalm because I knew it talked about the idea of God taking ashes and turning into beauty. And that is the business that God is in. He takes trouble, the valley of trouble, and turns it into triumph. He takes defeat, he turns it into deliverance. He takes a time of judgment in our lives and a time of trouble in our lives and uses this as launch pads. He says to us that no failure is final. I will bring victory through this. This is such a big deal to me, this, this verse and this concept, because I was remembering a time in my life when I had messed up big time. I was there. I was there needing to repent. And, uh, and again, it was my mistake. It wasn't like, oh, man, bad things happened. I couldn't control it. I, I had blown it. And when God brought me to that place, uh, you know, where I knew, man, I got to get some help. I got to do something. The first person I called, looking back on it, I have no idea why I called him. Well, I wasn't that close to him. Actually, I think it was, I knew he could talk to me that day, and I was like, I got to talk to somebody. I knew he was available. You know, so I, I called up this, this guy, and I, I started to tell him my story, and I could tell I was blowing him away. He was like, uh, why'd I answer the phone? <laughs> <laughs> why didn't I block this guy? Uh, why am I talking to him? But eventually, as I told him my story, he said, he said, I don't know that I have anything to offer you. He said, all I can tell you is I've been where you are. And he said, there is another side to repentance. You come to the other side. There's hope and there's deliverance. And there's another side to the story that's coming. And those words, more than anybody that I talked to at that time in my life, have stuck in my head, and I've been able to share them, you know, in the same way with other people and say, hey, I don't know that I can solve what you're feeling right now, but I can tell you this, there is another side. Uh, this is a big deal. God is a God. <laughs> I love the story of Samson. You, you know, most people know a little story about Samson and, and how he... Uh, 
gave in to Delilah, and he told her where his strength was, and his head is shaven, and then he finds himself with his eyes poked out, and he's tied to a, a mill grinding and stuff like that, and he's in this mess in his life. And there's a phrase in the Bible that has always stood out to me. It says in the middle of that, it says, then the hair on his head began to grow. Now, why that caught my attention, I don't know, but I just thought, hey, isn't that awesome? Here he is broken, but hey, God says, the hair on your head began to grow again. I got something else I'm going to use you for. And I love that. And I hope for some of you, you'll hold on to this idea. Again, I don't anticipate anybody going home and stenciling Hosea 2.15 on your wall today. I'm not predicting I'm not even predicting that you'll write it on a 3 by 5 card. But I do hope that you remember of that, that idea that this valley, the valley of trouble, the, the valley of heartache, God is going to turn into a door of hope. Okay? I, I hope you can grab onto that. We need, from this story, we need to remember that sin is to be taken seriously. Now listen, the first step of that is to realize that I can't beat it in my own power. The first step of that is to realize that, no, I have not conquered uh, Zen. My flesh is not going to beat that. I need the Lord. I need to pray. My flesh cannot win. I don't want to take sin lightly. And then also just to remember the importance of repentance and trusting in God for that victory moving forward. A lot of people compare as they look, as they line up the Old and the New Testament, uh, and they look at this story of Achan and what happened here, they compare it to a story that happened in Acts chapter 5 in the New Testament. Uh, that story is a story of a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And the two of them uh, lied uh, to God. Basically, they said they gave some things that they didn't give. Uh, they lied in the story, and uh, they ended up falling down dead, uh, much like what ended up happening to Achan and his family here, fell down dead. And um, the idea was, the, 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 in the comparison was that in the Old Testament, God was going to do a great thing in Israel. And at the very beginning here, he wanted them to know how serious this is. And then in the New Testament, as God is, is starting his church and building his church that's going to spread throughout the world, uh, God wants everybody to know just how serious this is. So I think the overlying message that uh, we have to realize from the story of Achan and what happened here is sin cannot be taken lightly. But that doesn't just mean... <gasps> You're going to get yours. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, number one, I cannot defeat sin in my own power, in my own flesh. I need him every day. Okay? I need him. I need and I want to be learning to pray in the times of victory, uh, in the times when I think I've got it all under control and walk with him, not just when I get desperate and think, I, got, I need help, God. But isn't that our tendency to walk away from it? It was for the children of Israel. It has been in my life is to think, hey, I've got this now. I'm good. I don't need your help with this. I need, uh, friends and I have been married for 72 years. Okay, that's not true. Uh, we've been married for 40 years. Okay. Have I perfected that? Yeah, we don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't need to pray about that anymore, right? We got it down. We're good. Wrong. Okay, I don't know if she's shaking her head or not. <laughs> no, you better really. Uh, but, uh, but honestly, it, it is that type of thing where we just think, hey, I've got this under control. I've got this. We're good. I'm not going to go back to that. I'm not going to end up in that sin again. It's not going to happen again. And pretty soon, we're, we've walked away from God. And because of victory, We've turned to prayerlessness, and because of prayerlessness, we have made ourselves very vulnerable. We're going to take some time. I'm going to ask uh, Trent and Adam to come back up, and we're going to sing that 
uh, song that we opened with today, the gardens, graves to gardens, because I am hoping that it will kind of trap into our minds a little bit and that will take away from here this idea. If you can remember, remember this phrase, maybe I should just put up there, valley of trouble becomes a door of hope. Okay, there is victory, there is forgiveness, there is uh, times to celebrate and laugh and have joy again on the other side of heartache as we, as we trust in God for His forgiveness and for His power moving forward. And by the way, I, I said something to a friend of mine that that's, counsels me in the pastor a little bit this week. I said something about that I was struggling with this and that, and his response, I hate it when everybody always has the right answer for everything, but his response was, don't you think God gives us some times like this so that we remember how much we need him? And uh, isn't that the truth? Don't you think sometimes that's so that we remember how much we need God? I hope as we sing this, we can kind of just remember God taking the trouble and opening the door of hope. I hope we can remember that. And the victory that is on the other side of forgiveness. And Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. And he offers forgiveness. Come to me and, 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 and ask me. Okay? My, my arms are open here. Come, come to me, Jesus says. And ask me for that forgiveness. Hey, listen. I, I need to be honest. Uh, as, as I say this, sorry, I just thought of this, guys. But I want to be honest. I'm not saying that the consequences of your sin are going to vent. Uh, automatically vanish. Do you know what I mean? You, you, you say, hey, I need to deal with this. I need to confess it. And then I won't have to pay the price. Sin has consequences. Bottom line. I'm not saying. What I'm saying is there's another side to it. Okay? And even that day that I met with my friend, I had some dark weeks afterwards. But now I stand here and say, hey, I see what he was talking about. This is awesome. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.